very easy to get kind of stuck in the day-to-day -day production mode of the product. And those incremental changes don't often yield a big result on, on the product. So you have to take time, I think, to step back and have a future vision. Think about what the product's going to be like maybe in two years and five years and start looking at how that might come together. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Each Another, a podcast about designing for people and business. My name is Tom Cunningham. I'm a senior visual designer here with Each Another. And today I'm joined by two of my colleagues, one of our senior visual designers, Mr. Patrick Cusack. Hi, Tom. And one of our senior UX designers, Mr. Brian Goff. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the podcast, guys. When it comes to creating and growing your own products or service, it's not enough to benchmark yourself against competitors and build your product roadmap around picking low-hanging fruit. If you want to differentiate yourself and stay ahead of the competition, or indeed leapfrog the leaders, then you need a product vision that's ambitious and something that everyone on the team can rally around. It's easier said than done, right? So today we're going to be talking about a concept car approach to your product. I think there's a lot we as UX designers and uh, product designers can learn from the car industry, particularly around how they uh, treat concept cars. You know, we're all familiar with the idea of a concept car. It's really the the car manufacturer's vision of what the future of driving will be like. But it also kind of represents their values and their design principles. It's kind of those things encapsulated in a single artifact. And uh, I think that can be really inspiring for customers as well, because it allows the company to kind of draw those customers in with a bold vision of, of what the future might be like for driving. A lot of parallels really between that and what we do. One of the main ones is around manufacturing. So for us, development is quite an expensive process and the same applies for cars. Manufacturing a car is the same thing. It's a very expensive process. So the car manufacturer wants to make all the mistakes and get the design decisions made before they ever reach that stage. So the prototype, like we're all familiar with the benefits of prototyping and we can expand on some of that later. But that prototype allows them to fail early and, you know, make the decisions before they ever reach the manufacturing stage. And that's an important principle for us too. We want to prototype uh, experiences and products before we ever reach development so that we can make changes without incurring a large cost, which is often the case. Um, but also the, the concept car for a car company has a lot of other benefits. It can actually allow the company to gauge the public's response to their design. So they can sort of test out things. If things work, they can carry them forward. If they don't work, they can sort of quietly put them to one side and move on to the next thing. But it also actually allows designers as well working on those things to work without the constraints of kind of the day-to-day -day production and it kind of empowers them to design free of any limitations and push the car design forward in ways that might not otherwise while prototyping is nothing new for the design of digital products the concept car variety of prototyping is actually something i think we as ux and product designers can learn a lot from Absolutely agree with that because it's, you know, we tend to think much more conservatively perhaps about what a prototype can be. Um, we're trying to move maybe incrementally on what we, uh, the, how the product actually currently exists. Um, and the idea of a concept car then enables teams to think outside of that box. Um, there's a cliche for you. Mm -hmm. um, but initially, the, the historically, the reason behind concept cars was to try and break out of that mold of carriages, because that's originally what cars were based on. It was carriage makers who were making cars. And so the notion of having dream cars or concept cars allowed them to break out of their own conventions. So in that sense, you know, we're all kind of slaves to our own conventions, our own notions of how we're doing things. Uh, I think we quickly become very convinced that we're doing everything in the right way, moving forward in the right way. But the concept car allows us to kind of challenge ourselves a little bit internally. Uh, and start thinking about our products in a very vastly different way. Yeah, and I think one of the, the main problems for, you know, digital product companies is that, you know, if you have a, a product and it's long established, making changes to it 
comes with a, a lot of risk. When you're in that position, it's easy for a competitor to come along and possibly, as you mentioned, like uh, leapfrog you. The concept car exercise allows that company to kind of protect against competitors uh, overtaking them. Nice. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Unintended, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so what it allows them to do is take a step back and think about what their product might be like in the future. It's very easy to get kind of stuck in the day-to-day production mode of a product. And those incremental changes don't often yield a big result on, on the product. So you have to take time, I think, to step back and, and have a future vision. Think about what the product's going to be like maybe in two years and five years. So I think that exercise allows you to build a product without any of your current limitations that might easily be bogging down the designers on the day-to-day product. And it lets you put forward this vision of the future that excites the company that, again, like the concept car we talked about earlier in the car industry, it's about manifesting your values and beliefs into an artifact and creating a prototype that you want to to work towards. Mm -hmm. That prototype actually doesn't have to be something that you deliver exactly but it actually it provides an important direction for the company to face in. and again it goes back to if you're just making incremental changes without a clear idea of where you're headed the concept car prototype can actually provide that direction you don't have to get there but it's that it's that goal that you're heading towards mm-hmm. so many of our listeners i'm sure are working for product teams they're building products and they're building services they're probably designers maybe they're engineers product owners and they'll be familiar with that kind of ubiquitous agile approach to building a product so you build up a team you might have new designers joining the team or developers joining the team and they jump on what i always think of as like an agile treadmill it's like great guys welcome on board we have loads of stuff that we need you to build jump on the treadmill it's already moving you know you need to keep up and that's fine but it what that does that's fine to be able to get you over the over the over a hump but what can happen there is that if you're working like that constantly going from sprint to sprint constantly sprinting and you're working in you know days of that are broke up into micro tasks that are half day tasks or you know quarter day tasks well then you lack that strategic view you know what are we actually doing again sometimes you need to stop and step back away from okay we're using the analogy of a concept car well think of an exploded car diagram you've got all the bits and pieces all the nuts and bolts all the wheels all the the engine that needs to make up the car if you're focused on one detail of that of that product like solely so you're like okay we need to optimize this tire to be as fast as it can be you may be missing the bigger picture and you probably will be missing the bigger picture and it's difficult to be able to step back and have that strategic view when you're in the micro details all the time i think that's a really good point though because it's it's funny how we tend to think about software we're always talking about post for this production in other words that we're not thinking about waterfall processes of kind of uh, linear ways of building product and at the same time here we are talking about concept cars which owe themselves so much to that era mm-hmm. um however you know it, it goes to sort of maybe it says something about the fact that we're not entirely divorced from that uh, mode of thinking that there's still value um in thinking about things uh, both holistically and in a particleized way some people view concept cars or the ideas of concept cars as these kind of like self-congratulatory indulgent projects that are hidden behind the scenes and take years upon years and then when they're uh, produced and presented it's a big unveiling what does this concept car approach look like in uh, from a practical point of view yeah that's a good point i think it's it can be very tempting when you're working on a product to jump in straight away to the um the day-to-day production mode um but if you do that, you're like we talked about earlier, you're sort of missing that direction. You can put out fires here and there, but you don't know exactly what uh, where you're headed. I think it's important to take a step back uh, to try and carve out some time 
to define what your future vision is going to look like. At times it can be hard to justify that, you know, we're going to spend two weeks on this prototype and none of that work will find its way into production uh, in two weeks time after that. Right. So you're talking about weeks as opposed to months and years here. Yeah, it can be a very quick um, exercise. I think the exercise itself comes off the back of some research. You don't just start a prototype out of thin air. I think there's a lot of um, elements that go into backing up the decisions you make. And you can certainly base a concept car prototype on a lot of the traditional UX research that we'd be very familiar with. So you're not doing it out of thin air, but really it's an exercise in saying, where are we headed? And like a concept car, that may never be made, um, but elements of it might be. Mm-hmm. Once the prototype is made, you can take bits of it and start putting them into day-to-day production immediately. So, okay, the overall experience, we're not going to get there for a while, but that thing there, the, the way that that element works, I can do that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah. so you can start to take parts of it. And like a concept card, the, the doors or the wheels or at certain aspects of them might make their way into mass production, maybe not the overall thing. But again, those lessons that you're learning can find their way into the day-to-day production and that means that those changes that you make in the short term are all geared towards delivering that overall experience in the mm-hmm. long term so it's an opportunity to really look far ahead and take some of those some of those uh, aspirations into, into the project today so use an example of say you know if we were netflix back when they were doing dvds you know something that would like a concept car unveiling could be like guys this is where the industry is going to go in five years time we're going to be you're going to be able to watch us stream us from any device in your home I'm sure everyone went like, what? No way. That's not going to happen. You know, but here we are. But no, you're right. And then they can say, "Okay, now this is where we want to get to. Now, how do we get there? We can plan the steps to get from where we are now to that future vision. And it's that long term thinking that kind of sets out your roadmap for everything in between. Often it's overlooked. Not not many companies take the time out to to do that. And again, it protects these uh, particularly large companies that have long established products, it protects them against those, those competitors that are nipping at their heels, trying to deliver the, the same service they do, but better. Mm-hmm. So it's an exercise for them to constantly reevaluate what they're delivering and seeing if it's as good as it could be, rather than just saying, oh, it's fine as it is, our customers uh, are used to it. Let's just tweak it and fix it up in small increments. It's actually more about challenging what you've got and making sure what you've got is the best it could be. So it's almost like they're just they're, you're trying to disrupt your own market as such that you're actually trying to come out with a product that's going to disrupt your own uh, your own primary product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, to an extent, and yourself. it's it's a, quite a sobering exercise in that sense because mm-hmm. you're just trying to make sure that your product is as good as it possibly can be because they, your competitors are going to make one that's as good as it possibly can be yeah, as well. So you, so. you can imagine what a startup coming in and challenging mm-hmm. you know, the current incumbents would, would do. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the time, obviously, a lot of companies might start out with that startup mentality and you know, they're pioneers and all the rest of it. But very soon they become the incumbents and they've lost that, that kind of yeah. um, vigor. Uh, so it seems to be a good way to kind of reconnect with that spirit. Yeah, I think one of the points that you're making, Brian, is very good as well. I think it's like almost... Uh, like in the need to cannibalize your business if you see if you see those opportunities there's a lot of fear sometimes in companies especially larger companies where there's a fear of cannibalizing your own business whereas a, a fast follower or you know someone a new startup could come along and just jump in and eat their eat their lunch from them 
Yeah, no, I, like, I think that, no, I think that's a great point. We're talking about earlier on. It sounded to me like the difference between uh, reacting and then managing. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the times, I guess we're, we're maybe reacting to what's going on, but but being able to manage the future, manage how your product's actually going to go forward. Uh, concept cars seems to be a great way to facilitate that mm-hmm. um, because you know the reality is most uh, companies are, have you know big band of engineers. They have a UX team. They have product managers and so on, and their job is to keep everything steady to keep the ship sailing. Um, so, so how do we actually kind of break out of that then and um, become a little bit faster and slimmer and, and take risks, right? Mm-hmm. And be able to manage those risks without necessarily having any big investment uh, involved. Yeah, that's a good point, Brian. I mean, I think it doesn't have to be a big team that tackles this project. Um, you know, you can break away one or two designers for two weeks together, deliver something at the end of it that is quite close to what we're talking about, this kind of future vision. And then once you have that prototype, it's something that you can bring to meetings to talk about. Uh, it's not like we're talking to people about what we think the future of the product should look like. We're actually showing them something. And that goes back to the benefits of prototyping just in general. That common saying at IDEO is a famous one. Uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. A prototype is worth a thousand meetings. It's so invaluable to be able to bring, to show and not tell what you mean. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's an important principle, I think. Mm-hmm. And once you have that, everyone can look at the same thing. Yeah. Uh, decisions are easier because everyone's agreed on what they're looking at. Sure, yeah. Uh, many teams can take part in the discussion so you can get developers, product owners, uh, customer support uh, teams involved in that. And their insights actually feed in directly to how the concept car might be iterated on. And if that's the case, those people actually then become advocates for your prototype. If they feel like they've had input into shaping how it how it looks and how it works, they'll start selling it for you after you've left as well. Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful thing. We, we talk about it a lot with prototypes that the minute people can see something tangibly, it makes a big difference to how they can they can understand. I think people feel a bit more secure when they can see something tangible uh, and, and as close to real as possible. So what we're talking about the execution there, put a team together maybe to build out some kind of prototype that you can put in people's hands and get, and get buy-in from the team. It's a North Star, if you will, that everyone can kind of point towards. I think it's important to use this as an opportunity. As we were saying earlier on, you've got, there's a lot of competition. It's not enough just to benchmark yourself against the competition. You need to use this as an opportunity to be able to leapfrog and jump ahead and go, you know, really get ahead of, of the competition there. Or, as I said before, leapfrog the leaders. Um, and I think a way of thinking about the product is, is, is not those, not using little small increments, but having large visionary goals that you can go towards. I'm just thinking of the book I read, uh, The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. And he was saying that all, like, all your goals should be 10 times bigger than what seems realistic. Now, that involves like investing 10 times more to reach 10 times further, you know, and invest 10 times more effort than your competitors do, because obviously su- success requires uh, a lot, always requires more effort. But um, in setting that vision and trying to reach something that's way, way further than low-hanging fruit, that can allow you to confront like unforeseen challenges and think about think step outside of your your normal boundaries, um, and as as he said in this book as well, it's it's much more desirable to fail to meet an incredibly high expectation than to attain a mediocre goal. And that's the beauty of actually making the prototype as well, because there's very little risk in uh, making a prototype that sets out this huge vision for the future of the product. You can be as um, adventurous as you want at that stage and just see what people's reactions are. It's not going to cost you anything really to to do that at the prototyping stage. And if it's something that people buy into, you can follow on and then try and deliver that. 
And if it's not, you can leave it to one side and move on to the next. I, I think another point needs to be made for, and this is probably speaking directly to maybe to managers, is that uh, in terms of, of reigniting your team and getting them to re-engage with why they're they're showing up to work every day, you know, I mean, a concept car immediately uh, gives you extreme advantage there, right? Exactly. And I think, again, if that if those teams that are ultimately the ones going to deliver the, the product in the long run, if they have fed into the development of the prototype at an early stage, they feel ownership over it and they're happy to sort of see out the vision and deliver it ultimately. Whereas in the otherwise, they may just be doing work that has been prescribed to them that they don't feel that much ownership of. And again, sure. it just gets that the team to buy into the vision and be enthusiastic about delivering it. Yeah. Because otherwise they're just coming in, you know, doing the job, you know, it's uh, we're doing it really well, it's really working really well. And then they leave, go home and do it again, rinse and repeat. Yeah. And especially for the likes of developers to be involved in that process, it's probably not usually the part of their day to day roles. But if they can feed into those workshops and, you know, mention, you know, technologies that they're aware of that might not otherwise be used. It just gives them that sense of ownership and and enthusiasm for the work that they're going to follow on with. It also helps challenge designers like us to think about things slightly differently because we tend to be thinking uh, maybe in straight lines ourselves. So having everyone presumably at the table. And then what about, say, customer advocates, people who are able to kind of talk about the user and talk to the user? I mean, how does that work, do you think? Yeah, like again, we mentioned those kind of teams that can feed into the to the making of this prototype and an important one it would also be you know the likes of customer support getting those people involved at an early stage is really important because they're actually the ones speaking to customers on a day-to-day basis they have the direct line to the customer quite often we can as ux researchers we can do a certain amount of research to get at that ourselves but as a primary um source you know these are these people are invaluable and again it might not traditionally be the case to involve people from those kind of teams into this kind of process but it's actually really valuable for the likes of a concept car because, again, it gets everyone to buy into the vision, but we can get insights from people that we might not otherwise uh, speak to. Well, it's valuable for any project, really, and that's how we work. But a lot, I suppose a lot of other companies or larger companies, maybe they don't think of actually, you know, really sitting down, shadowing the call center or, or any or that kind of the customer service line of defense, if you will. But the like, you'll always hear the pain points there. Good, good product companies will be people who talk to their customer service team all the time, very involved with them, sit down and regularly would sit down and listen in, shadow calls, hear what the pain points are, you know, and if they can even, you know, interact with the clients themselves, depending on the business, interact with the customers themselves and get those insights and find out why those pain points are there. And it's it's through insights like that where you could, could someone, you know, someone could say, I'm not happy, you know, Netflix is grand, but I have to post the thing back every time. And then someone could go, yeah, geez, well, maybe we could just, you know, stream it straight, you know, we can just beam it into their house somehow. And then like, obviously that, the idea comes from there, you know. And then someone obviously arriving into the room and saying, hey, we've got the technology to do this. So you, you get that picture as well. I mean, it, it seems like then we're, I guess the thing is getting back to the notion, whenever I would hear about concept car, I'd be thinking, yeah, it's a bit fluffy. Uh, is this thing really ever going to hit the road? It's just these things they roll out in trade fairs, whatever. And I always thought they were kind of some sort of marketing gag, some way to kind of get people excited and reinvigorate the brand and so on and make them look a little bit edgy. But what really appeals to me about this is this notion that you are, are grounding it in actual proper challenges. Like, it's not just like, let's build a product. What if? This is completely blue sky. It's not blue sky, right? Yeah, and actually that's an important point because I think when you're starting the process of building a 
concept car prototype, you're usually going to be doing it off the back of some other research that's been done. And an important aspect of that research is actually uh, personas. So we talked about talking to call center staff, but if you can actually speak to customers directly, that's invaluable. And then the more customers you speak to, you can start to abstract those people into personas, which are just a representative uh, sort of type of customer. And then you can start to think about, okay, what personas are using the product and what can uh, I do to make their lives easier? So there might be several personas that use a given product. Uh, We can maybe choose one or two of them, but we can think specifically about those people and how we might make the product better for them rather than, like you said, as just kind of a what if scenario. You know, there's no there's not enough focus to that scenario. Whereas if you're if you've got someone in mind, the persona can help to focus the kind of decisions you're making. Ironically, because obviously Henry Ford is famous for having said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. Uh, But then what can you infer from that, Henry? So what are the steps that you would take to kick off a project like this? Yeah, I think um, there's some simple steps that can lead you towards, uh, you know, our concept car goal. And like I mentioned earlier, you're trying to build a concept car on top of the kind of UX research that would be carried out uh, on a day to day basis in companies like like ours. The first thing I think you start off with is defining uh, your design principles, like the concept car we talked about um, earlier with the, how the car industry will use a concept car to almost embody their values and design principles. That's really our starting point. You need to set out a clear set of design principles. What differentiates you from your competition? And these principles then are kind of the foundation for any decisions you make along the way. If there's any disagreements, maybe as you're going along with maybe other stakeholders, you can always refer back to your principles to try and solve those things. Like, uh, is, a, is a certain decision we're taking does that match up with the principles we've set out or not? So that will actually, that's the foundation for everything. The next thing, as we talked about, is I think creating personas. So again, it's talking to users, kind of thinking about the kind of people that are using your product and maybe choosing one or two of those personas to design for specifically. Uh, And again, trying to think about how you might make the product better for them. After that, I think it's important to start the process of workshops so you want to co-creation workshops are really important you're not going into those workshops trying to tell people what you're going to do you're it's very much collaborative so you want to get multiple stakeholders involved again like we talked about teams like customer support development um sales get all those people in a room together and try and tease out insights from them that are valuable and that you can take and use So again, like I mentioned, the developer might come forward with a piece of technology you weren't aware of, or the customer support team can offer insights about the people they speak to on a daily basis. Uh, All that information is really valuable and you can sort of capture it by sketching. So again, it's this principle of show, don't tell. So you want to get those people sketching. Not everyone is comfortable sketching. And I find a really great exercise to do in those workshops is the helicopter exercise. Just get everyone to draw a helicopter. No matter how bad the helicopter is, you can recognize it for what it is. And that's kind of like a a fun icebreaker, but it kind of reassures everyone that they can draw to the level needed to communicate what they're thinking. So what you would do then, I think, is trying to get them to to sketch out um, simple, simple um, flows, journeys, screens, anything that communicates their ideas. And you collect all of those at the end of the workshop, get people to present back to each other, get a discussion going about the kind of things that were raised. Um, And that's a really important step. And then from that, you can make a storyboard so you can sort of stitch together some of the ideas raised there into a day in the life of your persona. And from that, then you can make a high fidelity prototype. So you can you can zone in on a certain part of the day of that persona and illustrate that experience or interaction in a lot of detail. 
And what, you've, what you're armed with then is a, a storyboard that tells their, uh, the story from start to finish with like a detailed look at certain interactions. And that's a power of, that's really what your concept car is going to be. It's like, what is the experience going to be like for those people using our, our product? And what in detail will parts of it look like? Once you've got that, you can start testing it with users. So again, we talked about the importance of talking to your customers. So get it in front of your users and, and get their feedback and then iterate, start again, do it again, make another one, improve it, uh, make changes based on their feedback. Yeah, what you what you know you can make better again, that whole thing of getting a prototype in front of people, something tangible that they can talk about and point at. So that kind of just sounds like our standard process, though. Uh, it does. No, I mean, um, but what I was trying to say, I suppose, is more that the prototype doesn't come out of thin air. It comes out of that those, that sort of standard stuff that we do. Mm-hmm. But the prototype, um, and again, it's it's founded, founded in a lot of what we know already about prototypes. But it, the main difference is that it's focused on long-term planning it's rather than short-term stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's the ambition of it. Presumably, like you were able to, as you talked about earlier on, about having that notion of the roadmap. What's you know, you can you can take a much longer view. You're not just sort of what's happening in the next six months. Mm-hmm. It's what's happening maybe in the next uh, you know uh, ten, twelve years. You get to that point at the end where, like like you said, you have that prototype that uh, sets out this long term ambitious vision for the company. But you can you can actually do a bit more from there as well. So like, what of that? You really what you could do is pick an aspect of the prototype and make a design sprint based on it. So take that little interaction or whatever, you, a certain small aspect of the prototype and try and flesh out two weeks where we try and deliver that in the live product and then do another sprint after that where we take another aspect. And, and again, you're kind of working away towards that goal. If you're brave enough as well, what you could also do is start to deploy those things with small customer segments. You know, if you have a huge customer base, you can carve out a small chunk of those and give an, maybe an entirely new experience to those people. Sure and test it for real. It's your A-B testing almost then. Yeah, and if it fails, you've, you're, you're, you know, you've only tested it with 50 or 100 people. Yeah. If it works, you can start to roll it out to larger numbers and test as you go, so you can start so to scale it. It's low risk. Yeah, um, so it's all about you know taking this ambitious vision, but then you have all these steps to kind of deliver that for real as well and, and, and work towards it. So I wouldn't be afraid of biting off a chunk of users and trying something out with them. Excellent. Okay, well, thanks very much for your time today, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. For more information, go to eachanother.com. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the podcast, Conversations with Each Another, on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast from. Till next time. <laughs>